my brother, my brother, um, in May, before he would have graduated high school, uh, joined the army. He went in and he left for basic training on May 15th, 1968. That was also my mother's 45th birthday that he went into the, uh, went into the army. Our country was in the thick of the Vietnam War at that time and during basic training, the eight weeks of basic training, they were not allowed to write home. They weren't allowed to call home. They weren't allowed to communicate at all. And then after that eight weeks of basic training, he went on for eight weeks of uh, training on uh, as a uh, crew chief on uh, the Huey helicopters. And uh, given that and my brother's uh, penchant for, uh, for, you know, just not communicating a whole lot, we, you know, they, we'd go through long stretches of time without hearing from him. Now, remember, this was before Al Gore invented the Internet. So, so, uh, so there was no email. The only mail, you know, when we said mail, it was what now is referred to as snail mail because it was the only mail, you know, at that time. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't much of a letter writer, so we didn't get much uh, information from that. There were no cell phones. Instead, they had these, um, they had these little, little, um, tall boxes in different places around the base and you would actually go and step inside that box you could open the door and step inside that box and there was this thing on the wall called a telephone it was a pay phone think of a vending machine for making phone calls you shoved money in there and you could make a phone call because then what happened is it was attached to the wall and there was a wire, you know, that went and you'd put this thing to your ear and your mouth and uh, it had wires outside of it uh, connected to a pole and those wires went everywhere and eventually they were connected to all the phones, you know, in, in, the, in the country. But the problem with that is, is every, they only had so many of these pay phones and every guy uh, who was there wanted to call home. So consequently, they would have to wait in the long line and to make a phone call until the guys ahead of them were, you know, done talking to whoever they wanted to talk to and then eventually they would, you know, be able to make a phone call. Well, um, my brother wasn't real big on, on doing that, you know, and he really only had so much time to wait in line. So, uh, we, you know, we didn't hear a ton from him while he was in the service. Uh, in fact, when he was uh, when he was over in uh, Vietnam, my mom actually contacted the Red Cross because it had been so long since we heard from him and said, can you tell me, you know, is my son okay? Uh, but before he went to Vietnam, uh, he decided, you know, he was getting a leave, and he decided he wanted to come home and surprise uh, most everybody, so he called and told me about it. And uh, so when the day came, I drove out to O'Hare Airport. Now, we just lived in the southern suburbs, you know, so it's, it wasn't that big of a big of a drive. But I drove up to O'Hare Airport, and uh, it was the, his flight came in rather late. And I picked him up, and by the time we got back to the apartment that, you know, was home at that time, um, my mom was already asleep, my sister was already asleep, and so my brother and I sat in the kitchen talking. Well, 
the commotion and noise woke my sister up and she wondered who in the world what was what was wrong with me who was I talking to out in the kitchen you know it's so late why did I have friends over and why weren't we being more quiet so she came out to see what was what was happening and uh, it took her a minute or two to realize that this was our brother well then the ensuing commotion from that um, as you could imagine um, woke my mother up and my mother came out to see what in the world was going on in her kitchen. Um, well, needless to say, we didn't get a lot of sleep that night. I you know it was, uh, it, it was a, to be able to see him. Well, it was a good thing. I thought I was going to be okay. Um, well, we're at the point in our study of Joseph where his brothers were about to learn that this Egyptian that they had been talking to, they didn't realize was Joseph. And they were about to realize that this G Egyptian official they were standing before was actually their brother Joseph who they had not seen in over 20 years. Well, they did see him. They just didn't realize they saw him when, it, when, you know, when they came in for, uh, for this grain. But still, it had been over 20 years before they had seen him, and they did not realize that. Now, their last, their last recollection of Joseph would not have been of good times that they had with each other. It would have been quite the opposite. You know, they, when they, 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 their last thoughts of Joseph weren't of good things. If you remember, they, they threw it. Well, as you just saw, you know, in the kids' video, they threw him, you know, they threw him in, in a pit. They sold him into slavery. So their last, their, their last interaction wasn't exactly what you would call a good thing. That's where we're going to pick up. Let's pray, and we will pick up on this interaction between Joseph and his brothers. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace to us as shown in so many ways. We just sang about that. We heard Ralph sing about it. Your grace. Thank you, Father, that you still are alive. Well, still alive. That you are alive. That you are working that what we're facing and what's going on in our country now is not beyond your sight. It's not beyond your knowledge or your power. We have all these disjointed pieces of life and how in the world do they come together and fit together. Help us to see and understand a little bit more of your truth and a little bit more of our life in light of your truth as we go through this passage this morning. Work, enlighten, empower, comfort, all those things that you do in the lives of each one of us here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 45, so if you want to turn there, Genesis 45. Um, again, the pew Bibles aren't there because, because uh, you know, at this point we think everybody's too germy. Well, at any rate, the way we clean the pews don't allow us to leave the Bibles and stuff in the pews at this time. So anyway, Genesis chapter 45, wherever you are, this chapter is simply a, it's a continuation. Sometimes there's a lot of time gap between um, what goes on, even between some verses. 
Well, here it's not. This is really a, a continuation, a flow of what unfolded at the end of chapter 44. Uh, if you remember, Joseph's brothers were, they had come and gotten food and, and, and took off. Joseph had um, their money returned to them, had his silver cup planted in his youngest brother's uh, bag. Uh, what he did was lie, and again, I, you know, admit what happened here. It's just because it's Joseph doesn't mean everything he did was good. That wasn't, that was a lie, what he did, and that was deceitful and underhanded what he did, and, and you know, I think he missed the opportunity to see God work in other ways. But at any rate, uh, here they are, chapter 45, just follows up on that. They went and they uh, got Joseph and his brothers, hauled him back before Pharaoh, or before Joseph, you know, before this Egyptian official, and they kind of have to answer for what went on and, and why they took this cup. And um, he said, you know, the one who took the cup is going to become my slave. And the, one who, who, the one in whose bag this cup was found is going to become my slave. It was Benjamin's. Benjamin had to be returned. They didn't like that at all, you know, and loud wailing and lamentings went on, but it, and uh, Judah stood up and said, no, keep me instead. My brother's got to go back, and this Egyptian official said, that's not what's going to happen. Uh, so here we are, uh, chapter 45, verse 1. It says, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was left with him uh, when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down with me without delay so you can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and your grandchildren, your sheep, cattle, and all you have. There I will sustain you, uh, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, your household and everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes and my brother Benjamin's eyes can see that it is I, Joseph, who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all my glory in Egypt and about all you have seen and bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now we're going to pause there for a minute. The tension here got to be too much for Joseph. The tension that he knew that this was his brothers he was talking to. And it got to be too much for him. Uh, you know, and, and so the resulting emotional expression there, well, that had to unsettle the brothers a little bit. Now think about this. Joseph gives this order to vacate, and that would have been in the language of Egypt at the time, which was probably Akkadian, but it doesn't really matter what it is. 
it was a, a language the brothers couldn't understand. All they knew is this, this Egyptian official, uh, you know, shouted and cleared the room quickly. And this is, you know, so they are there. This Egyptian official calls out, quick, very quickly clears the room. Now, it's quite possible that they thought they were in trouble. I mean, realistically, they had been hauled back for what? For stealing the silver cup. They had been brought back not as a good thing. They had been brought back as a negative thing. They had been brought back because the brother, you know, someone had taken this silver cup. Now, they didn't know who. And uh, we were told earlier, you know, several chapters earlier, Joseph spoke to them through an interpreter. And, you know, it seems he's continuing to speak to them through an interpreter. Now, imagine their shock when Joseph starts to speak to them in their own language. You know what a shock that would be. A couple of times I've had things like that happen. I, we were uh, coming home from um, Chicago one time and stopped at, um, I think it was Cabela's or, or what's the other one? Yeah, a Bass Pro Shop, it might have been there. Wherever it was, we went, and we, we went in there to look at it and, and to eat some things, you know, that you can't normally eat at home. And um, when we were there, we had ordered and we sat down and there were some deaf folks up there trying to order food and we, you know, Mandy was with us and she picked up on it before we did. And Mandy, being a sign language interpreter, um, went over and, you know, asked them, um, I don't know how, you know, uh, you know, asked them, can I, can I help you out? I only know the three stooges. Uh, the, um, Maybe I shouldn't do that. That could be something bad. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, and they were quite pleased. They were quite pleased, you know, that Mandy was there and able to interpret for them and able to get them what they want. I can also remember being at a, a conference, and, uh, you know, Kent and I and, and Sarah was, was there as well, and there were some Hispanics there, and they, you know, were having a little bit of difficulty communicating with something. And Sarah went over and, you know, and, and helped, uh, speaking Spanish, and and uh, they were, you know, they were quite shocked. You know, I mean, here's this pasty white woman speaking fluent <laughs> Spanish uh, to them, and that's okay, right? Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's she just doesn't look Hispanic. You know, she looks more like she came from Sweden, and um, you know, and and you know, it, they they were quite shocked. Well, here Joseph's brothers, it says, they were too terrified to answer him. That's pretty scared. I mean, that's pretty scared, too terrified to answer him. Now, that's understandable because look, look at what he said. You know, he told them that he was Joseph. Notice what he said. Who you sold into slavery? Well, he remembers. You know, he remembers. And then he goes on. He says, is our father still alive? So here's Joseph. I am Joseph. Who you sold into slavery? And is our father still alive? Their father, who they lied to and had been lying to for these, you know, these, these, all of these years, these 20 some years, Joseph mentions the two sins they wanted to keep most hidden. The two sins that they've been, you know, they've been living with for over 20 years. You know, we think that we can keep sin hidden here. They had kept these sins hidden for over 20 years. But here, here it is, it comes up again, just like a bad burrito. You know, and, and they, and, 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 you know, Moses told the Israelites, be sure your sin will find you out. 
You know, be sure that your sin will find you out. You know, don't try to hide sin. You know, don't try to hide sin. Deal with your sin as soon as you can. Don't try to hide it. Here's the struggle for us. Hidden sin, hidden sin brings years of regret and misery. Hidden sin always brings nothing but regret and misery, and that's exactly what it did for you. You know, we think we're sparing ourselves some grief. We think we're sparing ourselves, you know, some problems. But actually, what's going on is we continue to extend that. All we do is we extend the grief. All we do is we ex- extend it because we live, we live with the fear that each time it's mentioned, anytime it comes near that, that it'll be discovered. And so what happens is the sin then is beginning, the, the sin is controlling us. You see, the sin is controlling the situation because now we have to, we have to be sure that it doesn't get uncovered. You know, we have to be sure it doesn't get uncovered. And, and, and so the sin is actually what's controlling us. We need to confess it to God. Confess it to God and then confess it to anyone that you may need to confess that to. Anyone you sinned against that, you need to confess that to. You know, don't do it to destroy them. You know, some people, that, I need to tell you this, you know, I've hated you for years. I, you know, I, I, they never knew it. No, you don't, don't do that. You don't go and barf on somebody. You know, you don't go throw up on them and get it all out of you. <laughs> well, I feel better. Yeah, and the other person... <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about those times in which you sin against somebody and you know you've sinned against them. Go and confess it to them. You confess it to God and you confess it to them. You see, we'd rather do one but not the other sometimes. And that goes both ways. Sometimes, you know, we say, well, I'm sorry. And then, you know, like we we ignore God or we say, you know, we pray to God and then we think, whew, I'm glad that's over. No, sometimes you have to go and confess to the, to, you know, to the other, to the other person. You know, you, you need to be careful with that. Well, Joseph calls them to come closer. <laughs> They'd probably rather run away. I mean, really, come closer. <gasps> Rats. He remembers we sold him into slavery. We've lied to our father. Was that me or somebody, a kid? Oh, oh, okay. I can never tell. Um, the, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, here, here, you know, they're, they're probably wanting to run the other way. You know, finding out it was Joseph and that he remembered that they sold him into slavery was devastating news at this point. This wasn't, you know, Joseph was glad and happy to see them. They weren't quite sure yet. Joseph, I am Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Oh, come closer. Oh, you know, they probably felt they were dead for sure. That's it. We're a goner. Come closer. He's slitting our throat. He's, you know, we're, we're, this just isn't going to work out well. But Joseph doesn't stop there. He follows with an observation that he shows us that he was focused more on God's plan than his own comfort, at least for the moment. You know, for this moment, he was focused more on God. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, God sent me. Verse 7, he says, God sent me. Verse 8, he says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Verse 9, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. That will help you. That will help you, you know, to make sense of some of the difficult parts of your life if you focus on God's plan more than your own comfort. 
If you focus on his plan more than... It's not always easy. It is not always an easy thing to do because our comfort looms large, particularly when we're uncomfortable. When we're in that situation where we're uncomfortable, our comfort begins to even take on a bigger role. You know, it, it takes on a, 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 this much larger role. Joseph's words... Joseph's words do not remove the brothers' responsibility for how they treated Joseph. You need to remember that. You know, they don't remove that responsibility at all for how they treated Joseph. Joseph simply states how God worked in spite of his brother's sinful action. God made the most here out of someone's sinful actions. The fact that God makes the most out of someone's sinful actions does not negate the guilt of sin. Understand that. Because God makes the most of someone's sinful action does not negate someone's sin. They had a, a you know, on, on um, I think it was on WBCL, they had, you know, wherever it was, something you've learned from your father. And I said, well, you know, and I thought, well, something I learned from my father is, you know, the importance of being a father. But I didn't learn that because he was a good father. I learned that because he abandoned us. I learned that because he didn't care about me. I learned that because it didn't matter to I didn't matter to him. You see. God used his sin in my life to help me and to get my attention on some things. That doesn't excuse the guilt of the sin. We need to remember that. Jesus was wrongfully accused and killed when he died on the cross. You need to remember that. He died on the cross because he was wrongfully accused and he was killed on that cross, not because he did anything wrong. And yet God used his death to accomplish our salvation. God used Jesus' wrongful death, the sinful act of those who killed him. Keep that in mind. He used that sinful act of those who killed him to bring about our salvation. But those who killed him, those who abused him and tortured him to death were still guilty of those sins. They were still guilty of those sins is why Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I think that's on there. He prayed this because they were still guilty. God used this to, you know, for our salvation. That did not remove their guilt for what they did. And that's why Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they still needed forgiveness. They were still guilty for doing to Jesus what they did to Jesus. They were still guilty for that. Guilt needs forgiveness. Remember that. Guilt needs forgiveness. And we're all guilty before God. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, about feeling guilty. I'm talking about the fact of guilt. The last several weeks, we've had Romans 3 up there for you. It's not on, it's not on there, so don't look for it. Uh, you know, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. How many fall short of the glory of God? All. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All are guilty before God. Whether you feel guilty or not, 
The question isn't how you feel. The question is the fact of the guilt. And the fact that God uses sinful acts that somebody chooses to do does not excuse or nullify the sin. It simply, it simply proves God's sovereignty over all. God is sovereign over all. You know, he, he is not stopped or thwarted by sin. Sin does not win. Sin does not win. God is sovereign over all. And, and, and your sin does not stop his sovereignty. It does not remove his sovereignty. It does not lessen his sovereignty. God bringing them to Egypt, you know, it, it wasn't simply to save their lives. It's also a step in fulfilling prophecy. Way back in Genesis 15, to Abraham, you know, God says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be foreigners in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Beep. <laughs> they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. This is, this is the beginning of that. I, I, I was kind of wondering as I was going through this passage if maybe Joseph wasn't thinking out loud as he tells them how God led through the whole thing. You know, he's beginning to tell them, you know, he's, he's telling them and how God led through the whole thing. And I kind of wonder if maybe he wasn't thinking out loud. I, I think, you know, maybe this was a time when some of those dis, disjointed pieces of Joseph's life were starting to come together for him. You know, when it was, you know... You know, he had all of these what in the world moments in his life. You know, where he was looking, what in the world is going on? I mean, think about it. You know, his brother's betrayal and selling him into slavery. I mean, both of those. What in the world is happening? You know, the false accusations from Potiphar's wife. What? I didn't do anything. I was working. I even tried to be the, the good guy here. I even tried. I was a stellar man. I stood. What in the world? He's thrown into prison. You know, what in the world? He's left. He's left and forgotten in prison for, all, for those years. What in the world? He has all of these what in the world moments. You know, and, and then, you know, after more than 20 years, I think he's beginning to see how some of these pieces fit together. After more than 20 years. You know, you may not understand how some of the events of your life can be used by God. You may not understand how some of the events of the past can be used by God. You may feel you're in the midst of a very out-of-control time right now. You know, some of the things that have been happening, not just in society, but in your personal life, you may think that, it, you know, that it, it, it's, it's just out of control. It may seem like, you know, it, it may actually be years, but keep looking and trusting that God will bring all the pieces of your life together. He will. God will bring all those pieces of your life together. Keep trusting that he will do that. Now, here's the deal. In his time... And according to his plan. It's, it's not by our plan. It's not, for one thing, here's a thought for you. Maybe all the pieces aren't there yet to bring this together. You're thinking, great, more disjointed pieces. Well, it, it could be. You know, and it could be. And maybe, maybe some of the pieces 
Ginny and Jess were putting together a puzzle in our house. It had, what, 12 pieces? No, I don't know. Yeah, 500-piece puzzle. I was close. I was close. It had a picture on both sides. So there was a picture on one side, and you flip it over, and it's, another, it's a different picture. So they had these 500 pieces, but there were pictures on both sides. So it's like a 1,000-piece puzzle, but only it goes together, you know, one way. Well, they worked on this thing for weeks at our house, you know. It was beginning to be an obsession. I heard something in the middle of the night, and I thought, Jess is here working on a puzzle. You know, it wasn't. But anyway, uh, so they got all done. And, uh, well, they got almost done, and the kids were playing and moved it, and so they got undone a little bit uh, and got redone and got everything put together, and, yep, there was one piece missing. Looked on the floor, looked under the, it was out on the patio, looked under the rug on the patio, in the chair, then the cushions, all one piece is missing. And Jess said, you know, she remembered the kids opened the puzzle up at home. And so she went home and diligently searched, <laughs> like that woman looking for a lost coin. Jess was looking for this one lost piece of puzzle. She did find it, brought it over, stuck it in there. They glued this sucker together now, so anyway. Um, but, you know, sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes, you know, we have, all of these, we have all of these pieces and these disjointed pieces, and it seems that, you know, maybe something's still missing, and what we forget is, you know, way back there something happened. And God begins to bring and pull all of these pieces together. You know, trust God that he will bring all of the pieces of your life together in his time according to his plan. And that's the hard part for us. Real quick, we're going to finish this chapter. You know, Joseph tells them, go get your father, their families, and all their possessions and come to the area of Egypt picked out for them. Beginning in verse 16, it says, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace, Joseph's brothers have come. Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Get your father and your families and come back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can eat from the richness of the land. You are also commanded, do this. Take wagons from the, the land of Egypt for your children and your wives and bring your father here. Do not be concerned about your belongings, for the best of all Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them the wagons as Pharaoh had commanded and gave them the provisions for the journey. He gave each of the brothers changes of clothes, but he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent his father the following, 10 donkeys carrying the best products of Egypt, 10 female donkeys carrying grain and food and provisions for, the father, for his father on the journey. So Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't argue on <laughs> no way, I did love that. Um, verse 25, so they went up from Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. He said, Joseph is still alive. Uh, they said, Joseph is still alive and he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned. There's an understatement. For he did not believe them. But when they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, Enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. I thought this was pretty cool. Pharaoh's genuinely happy for, for Joseph. 
Uh, we're told in the beginning of Exodus, then there was another Pharaoh who came up who didn't know Joseph at all. But this Pharaoh knew Joseph, and this Pharaoh was, was, you know, was pleased, and he gives them a part of Egypt that really was perfect for them as shepherds to, uh, to live in. You know, Joseph sends his brothers back in, in style, really, to get their father and bring him back. Just a couple of interesting parts where we're going to wrap this up. In verse 24, notice, Joseph tells his brothers not to argue along the way. Maybe they've already been discussing who's responsible. Remember I said not to throw them in the pit? Oh, well, you didn't say that. You said, oh, whatever it was. You know, maybe they were, you know, already exchanging blame, you know, about, uh, about Joseph's treatment these last 22 years. Um, you know, possibly they were trying to determine how they're going to tell their father. Great, now we've got to go tell dad. You know, Joseph's alive after we went through all this. They would have had to admit they would have had to admit to their father what they did to Joseph 22 years ago and that they sold their own brother into slavery. They would have to admit that they allowed him to believe that lie and grieve all of those years, you know, that, and now to find out Joseph wasn't dead. Sin has to be faced. It has to be dealt with. It's not easy. Now, when some of the pieces of your life come together, you know, we may not like some of what we see. We may not like some of what we see about ourselves, but that's an opportunity to step up and to step closer to God. Joseph's reaction in verse 26 here, it's more literally translated, uh, Jacob's reaction, excuse me, Jacob's reaction in verse 26 is more literally translated that his heart was numb. His heart was numb. You know, he was once again hit by some hard news, first of all, that Joseph was still alive. Well, then, you know, the realization that his sons had sold their other, their, his other son, that his sons had sold their brother into slavery. And then that they had conspired together to lie to him for over 20 years, for these last 22 years, a desire to, you know, to, to keep him in a lie. You know, for us, sometimes life seems out of control. Real quick, just look at your outline. If you want to possibly see how some of these disjointed pieces in your life come together, don't try to hide your sin. Instead, deal with it. Deal with it as soon as you can. And then focus on God's plan more than on your own comfort. Know that guilt needs forgiveness. Seek it from God. Seek it from others. You know, and then keep trusting that God is going to bring all these pieces of your life together in his time according to his plan. He will pull them all together. You know, and we may not like some of what we see about ourselves as we look at these things, but seize that opportunity to step closer to God. You know, you can try to force it in your own way, in your own timing, you know, or you can keep following God and watch him bring all of these pieces together in a way that is way beyond whatever you thought, whatever you asked, whatever you imagined. What a gracious God. Do you think we can do that song again, All My Ways? Andy, you'll have to rack that baby back up. No. Yeah, just do it. As we, you know, that's All My Ways. I thought as we were singing that, what a great... What a great way to box in this sermon. You know, sing it before, sing it after.